perhaps we might be able to plant a tree on this planet and eat its fruit from that tree in a million years. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast a podcast for parents, as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Hey Ben, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing okay. A uh, little bit dragging this afternoon, but uh, but not too bad. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. So it is absurdly hot right now. Uh, the uh, it's pushing a hundred right now. I assume it's pretty hot in your neck of the woods. Yeah, it has been hot, um, and obviously the humidity really is with it. Is what is just stifling down here. Yeah. You know, summer kind of is an outside time. You know, people get outside more. But uh, right now, uh, kind of uh, this part of summer is definitely one of the times you do not want to be outside unless you're like an egg that you want to fry. So. Yeah, yeah. You just Sometimes like you go outside and you just feel like you're going to collapse and die. But, you know, I, I will tell you one time I did enjoy the outside is actually a couple of weeks ago I actually went to an Orioles game. You know, we talk about baseball a lot, but I actually went to an Orioles game for the first time in like four years, Ben. Would you believe it? Awesome. I'm actually planning on going to not a not a Braves game, but one of the Braves minor league uh, affiliates, which is now here in Augusta. Or actually, technically, they're across the river in South Carolina. But, okay. um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to go with my dad for Father's Day. That sounds fun. So, yeah, now uh, what's fascinating is the Orioles actually won when we were at the game, which uh, makes like one of like four games they've won this year. (laughs) Yeah. I was looking at it, and uh, I think the Orioles are as many games back in the division as they've won games this year. Ooh. That's rough. Yeah, so halfway through the season, they have to double their wins to catch up to the division. Well, the Braves are struggling to even make it to 500, but they're only a few games back. So, but I, I'm not, I'm not that hopeful. Yeah, what will happen? Well, during the summertime with all the outdoor stuff, and you know, thinking about the boys of summer, I think it might be a great time to talk about uh, nature itself. And so, I, I wanted to have a discussion about actually environmentalism for the Christian family. And I know a lot of listeners might tune this out, thinking that you know we're going to be advocating certain politicians from New York City, or you know <laughs> that, uh, or we might be hugging trees. But I think this is something that the Bible does touch on. Would you agree with that, Ben? I would agree. Now we'll get into the the details of it and into what extent. But, yeah, you, you don't have to uh, necessarily hop on board the train of some politicians from New York City to agree that the Bible addresses it. Absolutely. So, But now I, I want to ask you, uh, Ben, how much time do you personally spend in nature? And how about when you were a kid? Like, how is that different? Well, I mean, I work in, in a building now. Uh, so, and I, I don't spend as much time outside as maybe would be helpful for me, 
but I do enjoy it, and I do try to make it a point to go outside. And sometimes, especially because I work inside, I like to go on a walk or something in the evening in my neighborhood. Uh, I do like to go outside in the woods and that kind of thing. When I was a kid, though, I spent a good bit of time outside. I mean, I did watch TV and that sort of thing. I didn't play a whole lot of video games, a little bit, but not very much. But I played a lot of sports, played in the woods. We had woods behind our house. So I, I spent a good bit of time out there. How about you? Yeah, so right now, uh, I'd say sometimes I walk and I read uh, outside. I think it can be nice. Or I walk and I pray outside uh, on a nice day when, you know, there's not too many cicadas, which I'm thankful that they're going away. Uh, but I've been, I'll admit, <laughs> I haven't really spent more than maybe an hour outside in a row since, like, last summer. So, uh, you know, apart from, you know, like, meeting somebody outside. But uh, uh, so I haven't been terribly outdoorsy. But uh, growing up, I, we would go camping in the summers. And we had a camper, and we would go to uh, oftentimes this these Jellystone uh, that uh, parks, which is not Yellowstone, but uh, they're sp- <laughs> they're from a uh, Yogi Berra cartoon thing, and uh, they're a big chain. But we would do that outside. Uh, but I wish I, I did it more. Another thing we we had fun with outside was. Uh, I, you know, we grew up in the days of super soakers, so uh, that was always a fun thing to do outside during the summer. And it's pathetic they don't have those anymore. But I, I wish I went outside more, even if I wasn't shooting somebody with a super soaker. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I like to do that going prayer walks outside. And I was doing that for a while. We had this prayer room in our church, and I would go walk around. Our church is downtown, and I'd go walk around. Just to, this is where we're at for ministering, and then just seeing some of the brokenness that was around us. Uh, right now, though, it is it's pretty hot, and so I've come back inside. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm even leery uh, this week on reading and walking because I'm worried that it's hot enough that it's going to start and fire a book that I'm reading. So, <laughs> Fahrenheit 451. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Might be pushing that. So uh, now uh, I want to ask then, Ben: Should Christians care about nature and the planet, planet Earth in general? Uh, I mean, maybe you have some different thoughts on planet Venus, uh, but uh, should we care about planet Earth in general? Yes, and we'll get into the biblical theological reasons for that. But even if just practically speaking, you know, it's for our benefit. I was talking my, to my wife's uncle. He and his wife stopped in town this past Sunday, and we were eating lunch with them. And he has his own mechanic shop. And so I asked him what he thought about the big push towards electric vehicles. And he said, you know, the short answer is I think it's a good thing. You know, initially back in the day when computers were becoming more part of cars, people in the industry were thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be a lot of stuff to learn. We're going to be able to do this. He goes, yeah, we figured it out. And now I can walk outside and I can, you know, breathe and see the sunshine and this kind of thing. And he talked about how sometimes they'll have cars in their shop where it doesn't have – it's older and there's certain elements that uh, are not present in the car, a catalytic converter and some of these kinds of things. He said it's hard to be in there very long if the car's running and putting out exhaust. And so – uh, anyway, just from a practical, you know, this is going to benefit a standpoint, it, we, I think it's good for us to give attention to that and to care about what's happening with the planet. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'll add, I mean, because it was created by God, I mean, as God created this, I definitely think that means we should care about it. Uh, but further, uh, nature, I think, expresses God's majesty and glory. 
uh, which mm-hmm. I think is a further reason. I mean, uh, dem- any demonstration of God's glory is something that we should care about. Uh, and we, I think, are stewards of God's creation. We're meant to kind of take care of it. Uh, God, um, that was one of the chief purposes of man, is to steward God's creation. Uh, but I, I think, un- unfortunately, sometimes uh, Christians can care less than almost anybody else about uh, this created world, about nature. And, and I think that is a deep and, and great shame that Christians sometimes can be the least uh, that focus on that. Would you agree with that? I've certainly seen that, yeah. So uh, now, you know, in light of talking about a Christian worldview on that, uh, I want to ask, isn't everything just going to burn up in the end? Like, why should we care if, you know, uh, we read Revelation, everything's just going to burn up and we're going to you know, get to live in heavenly uh, beings and have, you know, wings and uh, little halos over our head. Like fat little cherubs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, Second Peter 3, 7 does tell us that fire is coming. It's true. But that's not the whole story. And so, you know, I mean, you have probably had multiple cars in your life. And you knew the time was coming at some point that your car was just not going to work anymore. Or the cost that it would take to keep the car running just wasn't going to be worth it. But, and I've ridden with you uh, before, it's been a while, but I don't think you drove your car like you stole it and you're just going to dump it off somewhere. You know, I mean, you, you take care of it along the way and, and treat it with some regard. And so I think it's uh, there's some level of that. And, and, you know, again, as we go, there's more that we're going to dig into from Scripture. But just because there is a judgment coming doesn't mean that what we do until that point doesn't matter. Yeah, that's good. So, uh, yeah, I I would add to that. So one thing I've actually been rethinking about this issue over a while and uh, the whether or not, you know, the Bible does definitively teach that, you know, everything is just going to get destroyed. Uh, and because uh, I, I think I'd always assumed that, you know, everything was going to go up in smokes and everything's going to start new in the new heavens, and new earth. But I'm actually less sure on that, and I think this is a relevant thing, and and that actually most Christians have throughout history have not overtly interpreted Second Peter three ten, which is really the verse where that all comes from. Uh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be expired. So the most Christians have tended to throughout history interpret this as more of a refining fire, and and so I'm inclined to think now, uh, based on some more study of it, that this passage isn't even suggesting necessarily that it will burn up, at least not really crystal clear. So, uh, But uh, in fact, I, I might even be as bold as to say that I think that there might be some truth that perhaps we might be able to plant a tree on this planet and eat its fruit from that tree in a million years. I, I think God's creation is still good, though tainted by sin, uh, and we might benefit from that that same creation that's restored uh, one day millions of years from now. So, But even if you, know, you do take the perspective that it's going away, as many Christians do, I, I, this is not a central issue. Even if you do think it's going away, I mean, mystery Treating hospice patients is pretty awful. Would you agree with that, Ben? Say, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we value like those that that which is coming to an end. Sometimes we can might value more and uh, really care for more in its last time. So even if it's going away, I still think we should treat it well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I have heard that perspective. And to, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. I've not dug deeply into what Peter was referring to there. But whether it's metaphorical or exhaustive or whatever, I mean, there's there's some reference to it. And however, things are going to be made new. And the case remains that you don't just just go, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I will say, by the way, I would encourage uh, just about anybody, Doug Moo and his son, so, the, yeah, they wrote a book and, and even did like a video study on environmentalism. And they talk a ton about Second Peter 3.10. And, and I think they're pretty persuasive in that. And if I remember correctly, actually, in this case, Doug Moo hold, held one position and his son convinced him otherwise. So, uh, and Doug Moo is a I mean, very solid biblical scholar. Yeah, um, outstanding. So anyway, uh, that, what does the Bible actually say about environmental stewardship, Ben? I think you have to go back to creation. I mean, there's so much about our lives that goes back to the first few chapters of Genesis and our life in this world. But God made us in his image, and part of that means that we rule over God's creation. And ruling isn't pillaging, or at least uh, that, that's not the way that ruling is supposed to take place. There are rulers who do pillage, but Scripture has a lot to say about that. And so as we exercise dominion, is another way it's expressed, we do that with care and with wisdom, and so we are ruling over what displays the glory of God. And so we're to do that with wisdom, not just. I've heard uh, D. A. Carson, who used to teach with Doug Moo, say that you know we're not to rape the creation and just exploit it for all that we can. We are authorized to use the resources that God has given us to receive them with thanksgiving, but to do it in a wise way. And so that's, you've got some on the far one far end of this perspective, um, different than the, the group you were describing at the beginning that just don't care. And it's sort of like humans are a cancer on the planet. And if we could just get rid of all the humans, then Mother Earth would be happy and everything would be wonderful. And that, I mean, that kind of anti-human view is is not biblical either. And I, at least I don't think this is where you're going with it. Um, and so we are to care for what God has made as stewards under his rule. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So, yeah, the that that view definitely does exist out there. I think it's rare. I, I'll say a, a ridiculous version of that is there was like... Not really a, in a Christian form, but... Yeah, there was a, a, ver, there was a Godzilla movie that came out a couple of years ago. And the villain was like, you know, was like trying to unleash Godzilla to, because humans are bad for an environment or something. It was just so dumb that uh, it was really hard to follow. But it was something along those lines. That... Speaking of media, did you used to watch Captain Planet? I did watch Captain Planet growing up, of course. Did you? Oh, man, the mullet. Oh, yeah, I had, I had a couple of the toys and stuff. It was, I, it was cool. It was. <laughs> anyway, so now I, I will add a couple verses that came out to me in the Bible speaking on environmental stewardship. So, you know, back in Genesis, there's a lot. In Genesis one twenty six, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness uh, and let them have dominion over the fish. And like you said, I mean, this word dominion of the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then Genesis 2.15, I 
think, clarifies that. And it shows the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So the original, really, task of man is actually kind of to, you know, transform this earth in a good way, to really care for this planet, uh, you know, not as the only thing. We just seek the glory of God, but uh, that is that is related deeply to our, our original creation order. So, and I think Psalm 24, one uh, uh, helps as well. And, and just showing us the majesty of God and uh, the good creation, of the earth, because it says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein. So the, the earth is God's. Uh, and as a result, we should, you know, we respect if we had access to something that was the president's, you know, or uh, to make it less controversial, you know, let's say uh, a king of England from 500 years ago. I don't know. Uh, I know people have strong opinions about modern precedents, and I don't want to shut that out. <laughs> you know, you would show respect to it. You would honor it because it's for somebody, you know, that's of higher authority than you. Uh, and and it's important to understand the Bible presents this earth isn't just ours, you know, isn't just a resource to be used for our enjoyment. It is truly God's creation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, how is environmentalism a theological issue as well, Ben? Well, I mean, it ties into what we were talking about, about being God's image bearers and ruling. And that you brought up the the specific command to uh, work and to keep, and I think there's even something about guarding. And that some have picked up on this, that the same command, the same words are that were given to Adam are also given to the priest, under the the old covenant, and that they were to uh, to work and to keep and to guard. Uh, I forget the exact terms. And so, and people see in the original uh, creation narrative that the earth and uh, the garden is functioning like a, a temple where God is, and they're supposed to expand uh, the borders of the garden, and so that God's glory covers the dry land like the waters cover the sea. And so I think there's something to that as we care for this place where uh, God is making his glory known and covering the earth. And so as we do that, we're, you know, not exploiting it, but using it well and remembering that it belongs to God. He is sovereign, the sovereign king, sovereign ruler. And this whole earth is not that we go. And I mean, I've heard people talk about, oh, when I'm in nature. Then that's when God speaks to me. And I get a little uncomfortable with some of that. I mean, God speaks to us through his word. But certainly when you go see a big mountain, you should be filled with awe that God put that there and how small you are and how big that is and how how much greater God is who thought up the mountain and thought up the matter and made it. And I mean, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. Have you? I have not, no. My wife has, though. Yeah, same here. Well, I've heard, I've heard John Piper say that no one goes to the Grand Canyon to feel awesome about themselves. <laughs> you know, you stand on the edge of that and you're just blown away. And so... Um, I think it can be a means to us worshiping God, but uh, but yeah, I mean this earth is to I mean uh, Isaiah six as well, uh, holy, holy, holy. The the whole earth is full of His glory, and so as we're actively trying to to bring that about, and uh, that's through preaching the gospel, making disciples, and that kind of thing. But uh, I, mean, I think you can draw some lower level connections to it. But I mean, what would you say? I think you really hit the nail on the head. I won't add much to that. Other than I think I will say that 
Uh, this clearly is a theological issue, but if you go to, you know, most Bible-believing theology bookstores, you're not going to see much of an indication that it is. Uh, in fact, I, you know, I did some research before this, and the vast majority of, uh, of creation care theology is done by those who, who are pretty liberal about the Bible, uh, those who have some dangerous unbiblical worldviews and other things. So I, I think it is a shame that it's effectively regarded as a non-issue especially among American uh, conservative theologians today. Yeah, I'd agree. So, now, do you have to support AOC and the Green Party to be a Christian environmentalist? <laughs> um, I don't think so. And I don't even know that you necessarily have to carry the name Christian environmentalist. I mean, I... You know, when I hear the word environmentalist, you think of hippie, Birkenstocks, tree hugger, little ponytail, uh, hippie, whatever. And that, that's the hard thing. I mean, it's not like we're using a term from the Bible. But to be a Christian who's concerned about the care of creation, uh, you don't necessarily have to, to jump on board with the Green New Deal, the Green Party, and all that. But I think as you try to trust and obey and come under the authority of Scripture, that you do share uh, concerns that maybe some folks in that camp might have. But that's not the same thing as maybe adopting every solution or uh, agreeing with everything. And I think it's just a, it's a broader problem because in our culture, we're too quick to take where people stand politically on certain things. And this is just really ramped up. Um, in the last four years and even more so in the last year. But if, if one sector of the political spectrum champions or really gets behind an idea, then anyone who would say, yeah, they've got a point there, it's like, oh, then you must be one of them. Yeah. And and so people are kind of hesitant to, to put themselves with people that are like, yeah, I don't know that I really want to jump on board with everybody that's in that camp on everything. And so I, I think that's part of the issue. I think that's a good point. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think that you can uh, and be in favor of Christian environmental concern, uh, even if you do not support AOC in the Green Party. I would even go further than that. I would say you don't even have to believe in uh, climate change or global warming, whichever thing you want to call it, to be a Christian environmentalist. Uh, I know of examples of people that uh, that don't believe in that, that definitively care for this environment. Even the book that I was talking to, uh, the authors both get pretty clear that they do believe that global climate change exists. Uh, and it's something they don't see as a non-issue, but uh, that they very much note that there are there are people that care for the environment, that, that love their, the God of this creation, uh, that do not believe in those kind of things as well. So uh, this is, I, I want to say, by the way, this kind of stuff, caring for the environment, is really not debated in the same way among Christians outside of the U.S. Uh, I, I've done a decent bit of research, and it seems like in the vast, even English-speaking world outside of the United States. It is pretty rare to find Christians that are as calloused about taking care of nature as you find among Americans. And some of that is because there's just not the aversion towards that particular view of, of climate science that there is in the U.S. sometimes among Christians. So, uh, But uh, I, I'll say Christian environmentalism 
preceded AOC. Uh, it preceded, I mean, the belief in global climate change, frankly, and it will live past both of those things. So uh, Christian environmentalism will continue on. I mean, unless Jesus comes back uh, before AOC passes on, uh, that Christian environmentalism will far outpass the Green New Deal. That, that's a good point. It's a good reminder just that uh, sometimes we get caught up in the moment, what's going on in our day, and we forget that there's people that have come before us that have seen things, talked about things, and uh, yeah, it's just our, our chronological snobbery, like C.S. Lewis talked about. Now, how does a Christian disregard for the environment actually impact our family's witnesses? Do you think that there's any impact at all on this? I think that it does. Now, I don't know that it's the biggest thing, and it may depend on who you're talking to, but if we're cavalier uh, in rejecting and even you know, just trashing something that lost people may care about, then that makes us less likely to be listened to on other issues that we may find important. And so even if you don't fully agree with a position, uh, if you're rapidly putting it down, I would not expect to, to be respected and to gain a hearing among lost people. So even if you don't jump on the, the AOC bandwagon, like maybe your neighbor does, um, that you don't have to be so cavalier in your rejection of it. Yeah, so it's interesting. I was listening a few months ago to a podcast from 538.com, which is kind of a political economics uh, website, uh, not necessarily like partisan, but more just kind of analyzing statistics. And, and our, some of the hosts were having a conversation about, you know, and just saying it nonchalantly how, you know, basically evangelical Christians are, are the people that don't really care about the planet, you know, that's just non-existent among them. And, and it real like kind of like disowning, disavowing of them is kind of bad for America type deal based upon that. And, and I thought that that speaks to something that these statistics you know, notice that. Again, that doesn't justify their unbelief, but uh, I think it also can confirm the mentality that we are just really antithetical to the culture, uh, and I, that was shown perhaps in that discussion, but I, I definitely think that we that, that we can demonstrate that to lost people, that we have kind of just too much of an antithetical. I mean, we, we kind of act like the Corinthians uh, in ways, you know, the Corinthians were most known for attacking the sin that the world does and not dealing with sin within our, us. And, and I think maybe, a dem, maybe the fact that we care the least about the environment is something that should be seen as something that's going to hurt our witness. Uh, but I, it's definitely seldom good when the lo when lost people are acting more moral on an issue. And uh, it's hard to deny that uh, even no matter what your view on what's causing, you know, this planet to change or whatever, it's hard to deny that that often is the case that uh, that lost people are acting more morally uh, up upright than saved people in this area. Mm. I, I don't know, maybe I'm overstating my point, but uh, nonetheless, I, I think it's a real danger, and I think it can allow people to have excuse for their unbelief. But how is caring for the environment itself an act of love towards the next generations? We talk so much about next generation discipleship. I think that one aspect, we can teach them to do it for the sake of future generations. Uh, we can make the earth a better place for future generations to live if we're caring for it now and not spoiling it. Um, and, you know, we may be able to curb some health and economic problems 
especially for poor people in coming generations, if our practice and our teaching and modeling to generations that are rising um, is one that honors the Lord. And, and, that, and that's, I mean, with some of these issues, everyone may not agree. And, and so, or, or even people that may have broad agreement, how specifically to do that, that's a whole nother uh, level. And, um, but I, I think that you can find some big picture agreement and go after some of those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I definitely think that you know, even if you have the view that, uh, that, you know, we're not going to get the same planet, that everything's going to be restarted again. Uh, one area of next generational love that is relevant to this is even if you don't think that we're going to get this planet again, I mean, our grandkids pretty definitely will unless Jesus comes back soon. Uh, so maybe mm-hmm. care about the environment because, you know, your grandkids are going to ha- have to have it one day. So, uh, and, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways the kind of approach of, of not lack of concern for our environment, lack of concern for a planet, is a bit of the kind of carpe diem philosophy, which is funny because I remember, like, for whatever reason, 15 years ago, uh, people really loved that movie Dead Poet Society. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't you remember that. It was, like, just for some reason. And uh, but that's a really, really stupid philosophy even among lost people carpe diem seize the day uh because you know it's going to result in us impacting negatively the future uh but you know i i actually think i we can be thankful in a lot of ways for what past generations have done uh to bless us in this kind of way you know we can be thankful for example that past generations made national parks a thing so that you can go and you can view some of these uh, wonderful works of god's creation rather than you know viewing a fact where those are supposed to be uh but uh you know so i i definitely think this can be an act of love uh beyond ourselves for generations uh beyond us yeah good well said so now how can families practically act as stewards of this planet ben i think you need to start small i mean realistically most of us have a a small impact and so be a good steward of where God has given you to live and over the resources that he's given to you to watch over and manage. Don't just wantonly consume things. You know, like I said earlier, we are authorized to use the resources that God has given us in creation. Like it's not wrong to cut a tree down to use wood to build a house or, you know, what if you used it to build a homeless shelter or something like that? I mean, there, there are legitimate reasons that you would do that. Um, we're also to receive them with thankfulness. But that's not the same thing as just burning everything up and living like royalty just because we have the means to do it. And so, I mean, probably most people listening to this won't have a yacht personally. But, you know, some of those kinds of things where it's just using just an incredible amount of resources just on your own personal life or your family. Uh, some of that stuff, I think you do have to raise some questions. Again, you you... It's easy to tell others what they should and shouldn't do with their resources, and especially when you don't have them yourself, and there's not really a possibility that you would. But I think that's the level that we need to be thinking about how to steward well what God has entrusted to us, because most of us are not making decisions that are going to affect the whole country or, you know, this kinds of thing. Like we're making laws and regulations for the EPA or something. So what do you think? Yeah, so that I, I would agree with you that I, I want to navigate that this 
can be a much trickier question than we, we take seriously. A an example of how the practicalities of this uh, are more complicated than we can think of is, as I remember, I was uh, I saw something, uh, I think a politician had posted kind of a rant about uh, uh, about lumber mills and their impact on you know the necessities of trees for the environment, but in actuality, the lumber mills and paper producers uh, that are some of the biggest environmentalists they they plant far more trees than they take up, which I mean that's just capitalism actually. Uh, so you know it, in this case, capitalism actually encourages that kind of care for the environment. And so my point in that is that it's not always simple. And that's, uh, you know, the, even there are times uh, if somebody flies a private plane, they could perhaps, uh, you know, buy uh, that by offset, spend money to invest in things that, that would offset it. So it's not always that simple. But uh, I, I think some practical things that we might be able to do is I, I think it's wise for the average Christian family to recycle and recycle properly. Uh, I, I specify this uh, because uh, I, I've read often that uh, misrecycling has had a big impact on, uh, you know, uh, on that has, has led to substantial issues in the past and it often makes it so the benefits of recycling are negligible because people mix non-recyclable stuff with recyclable stuff. Uh, I, I think further we can limit food waste. Uh, I think limiting food waste is clearly a good idea. You know, even making a practical act of stewarding for the for our planet by, you know, not buying food that you're not really going to use or eating leftovers sometimes. Uh, and, and lastly, I'd say consider things like uh, green cars. And I say consider for a reason. Again, this is not, you know, uh, this is not pa pastoralism. This is not, you know, something the Bible teaches. But I think perhaps this can be some implications of some biblical theology of creation. Consider things like if you're going to get a car, you know, get something that is more environmentally uh, sound, you know, whether it be a gas car that gets good gas mileage or whether it even be an electric car. Uh, or, you know, even consider solar panels if it's a possibility for you. Uh, now, I, I do want to be clear, by the way, uh, the people that, you know, replace their electric car every two years are, are pretty clearly doing worse for the environment than the person that's driving, you know, a 15-year-old beat-up Toyota Corolla. So. And that's where it gets, I mean, I kind of refrain some specifics on this because, um, it would definitely be on the opinion area, and, you know, some people, I mean, I've got a friend that just took delivery of a, of a Tesla, and I'm not exactly sure we paid for it, but, you know, it wasn't cheap. Now, I know Tesla has a goal of getting a car to last a million miles, and, um, but, you know, for some people, that that's not, getting an electric vehicle is not going to be a possibility, and so there's some of these other things that would be very costly, and so in the end it's like is it is it being a better steward of the, re the financial resources god has given to just say we just can't do that we're going to do these other things um and so i think yeah it just it can get quickly into areas of of sound judgment and conscience and uh and like and i think you were good to preface it by saying like these aren't commands from the bible yeah hey and that's i i really do think this is going to be more about what i would encourage more than anything is any listeners to this just try to think in their daily actions ways that they might be able to just make a, a small kind of action and again this is going to be so much case by case if you're somebody who's you know throwing out uh, things outside of your car window and you know or you're putting motor oil in the ground every day you know that's probably less uh, of a tricky issue but and 
the most family situations, <laughs> it's going to be very case by case. So yeah, don't do those things. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Now, how can parents teach their children to value God's creation? I think one way is to go out in it, go out in it together and enjoy it. Point out the beauty that God has put in it regularly and give him the credit. Like, man, look at the sunset that God gave us. Uh, those kinds of things. And you can do that if your kids are young or they're old and you, you see a, a sunset with red and orange and pink and purple and all these beautiful colors mixed together. It's like God didn't have to make the sunset beautiful, but he did. And I mean, anyone with eyes that work can look and see, my goodness, that is amazing. Um, I think, you know, I mean, you can teach them directly, obviously, but sometimes your practice may get it across more poignantly to them. What do you think? I think that's great. So uh, that's, I, I would say that's probably one of the most important things in that. But I would add, just in terms of your own Bible study, I, I think perhaps study the creation imagery uh, and creation emphasis in Genesis and even Job. Like, man, Job has uh, that has some really beautiful things about God's creation. Uh, and, and I love how God uses his creation even to uh, kind of... Uh, uh, kind of point out Job's own arrogance and pride, but uh, the but further, <laughs> yeah, yeah any, involve them. I think, especially as your kids get older, I, I think it's wise to involve them in environmental discussions, you know, and what you can do as a family. And, and I think for me, I, I've known even of you know, teenagers that have questions that have blame their question of faith or, you know, had doubts related to seeing that, you know, their Christian parents aren't concerned about these kind of things. And I actually know of at least one case where the Christian parents were concerned about these things, but they probably just weren't talking about it as much as it might have been helpful. And my guess is that uh, anybody who's listening to this who is a Gen Z kid, uh, at a, by a certain age, your Gen Z kid is going to be ha have strong opinions on the environment. And involving them in that, I think, can be an important way of showing uh, the value of God's creation and, and how we can care for that. No, that's a good word. How does this kind of stewardship apply to caring for animals? Because we've talked a lot about, you know, caring for the trees and caring for the grass and the pretty flowers, but how does it apply to animals, Ben? I think it can involve pets, maybe that you would have, choose to have a pet. We have not done so. Well, I think that back we did have a, a dwarf hamster for a short time, and then he met his end really quickly. <laughs> um, so we may get another one, but at this point, I just really don't want a, an animal to tear up my stuff. Um, though I, I like animals and dogs and stuff. Um, but scripture even commends and commands caring for animals and assumes that we would do so. I mean, Jesus mentions this and it's in the Mosaic law about uh, caring for animals. And so I think we don't, we would teach our kids not to harm animals just for the pleasure of you know cruelty. Um, I mean, I'm fine with hunting. I, I don't personally do it, but I don't. I don't think that there is a problem with it ethically. Um, but if kids are putting firecrackers inside frogs and you know, beating animals and things like that, that's a problem. It's not just a oh that's funny, even though it's just a frog. Like I think it's reflecting. There's some stuff wrong in this kid's heart. And no, you shouldn't do that. And so um, I think that it just it can be as basic as that. But I mean, what would you add to that? 
Yeah. So before I add to it, I want I think I think is interesting actually is uh, this really came to my head from uh, the past couple of nights we've been watching the PBS documentary from Ken Burns on uh, Ernest Hemingway. He loved bullfighting, and man, that like I it's uh, it has been really bothering me. And, and I think that kind of stuff is stuff that Christians should be bothered by in caring for this planet, you know. And, and for those who don't know, the reason why bullfighting is outlawed in most countries and why it probably should bother Christians pretty overtly. I'm not even going to say this is a, you know, a winsome issue. I mean, it is pretty overtly a way of training up of animals into being violent and then, and then killing, unnecessarily killing them at the end because you've, you know, basically given them a taste for, for hurting a human. Uh, so it's a pretty awful thing to do if you think that, you know, God's creation is valuable and that God desires us to really shepherd over that which, uh, you know, the, the animals of this world, even if we eat them, you know. Uh, but uh, I, I do think a lot of, I mean, people know William Wilberforce uh, as the guy who led to the end of slavery in England, which is an oversimplification, but he had a huge and amazing role in that. Uh, as a great Christian, uh, and it was a product of his faith in Christ. Uh, but people forget that he actually, that was only one of his two crusades. His other big crusade in his life uh, was animal welfare. He was deeply concerned on the lack of, uh, of laws to ensure that animals are, are adequately protected and not unnecessarily beaten uh, in England at the time. And, and he, was, he believed that actually was an overflowing of a biblical worldview uh, of a love for God so uh, and so I, I think that's a legacy that we can't forget uh, and we can you know for us today we can appreciate things like uh, that there, there are some complicated aspects of this again like almost anything with environment but we might be able to appreciate animal testing I mean ana- those who are against animal testing I, I think are just nuts in some cases I mean you don't want humans to be guinea pigs on medicine but uh, <laughs> you know I think we should detest some uh, any kind of unnatural animal abuse uh, any kind of animal abuse that you know is is really not needed you know I mean how many things do we need uh, how many things cosmetic things that we need tested on animals in a way that's severely going to hurt them. Uh, that might be legitimate questions that we need to ask in caring for animals. Uh, and, you know, it can provoke tricky questions, you know. It might provoke questions whether or not uh, uh, and stewardship of animals, whether or not it's a good idea for Christians to watch the uh, Kentucky Derby, for example. Uh, and again, I'm not going to answer those questions for you because I, I think that uh, PETA tries to make them more simplistic than those questions are, but uh, I think it's worth while to think about those questions yeah i mean it's a good point for the record i eat lots of animals in fact i eat so many animals that uh i really don't feel like i've eaten an adequate meal if i've not eaten something that was breathing within the past few weeks (laughs) just thought i'd add Now, will every godly family be able to come to the same conclusions on green living? And I'm guessing that the listeners already know our answers based on what we've talked about so far. Sure. Yeah, just follow our advice. Uh, No, and you you and I probably would not see eye to eye on every single issue. Um, Because a lot of this stuff gets into issues of conscience. And some things weigh more in one person's conscience than they do in another area uh, or for another person. Some people are more informed in a particular area than someone else is. 
And so we have to make judgment calls. We have to apply wisdom to these matters. Some people are, are more godly, and maybe they lack information. Some people are less godly, and they have more information. It's, it's just a very uh, complicated thing, as we've said multiple times. And so I think that we can have love towards one another and try to assume the best and uh, just be careful in how we approach those things. And probably, I mean— I think depending where you live, what kind of folks make up your church, and just the broader kind of culture that you're in, uh, it may be more or less of an issue. And so those are things you need to factor in and how you may treat people that you differ with. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with you. And I think especially we uh, won't be able to come to the same conclusions when it comes to po- relates to politics because, you know, we try to ever, we will never tell you who to vote for, you know, what political party to align with. Uh, Unless but, we're running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but, you know, the reality of this is that some uh, policies on this, and it is not a small aspect of environmentalism, is going to relate to who you vote for or, or what political party you line up with. And that's a decision that everybody's going to have to think through. Uh, but uh, and Christians are definitively going to line up differently and their priorities on that. And, and we have to respect one another in that. Uh, but, you know, and, and to demonstrate, though, how tricky this kind of stuff can be, but nonetheless that we can still care for the planet would be the example even of like nuclear energy. You know, it, it's strange because like you and the nuclear energy issue, you have like a lot of environmental people that are strongly against it, but then some that, I mean, the science is pretty clearly that nuclear energy is a green energy. It's perfectly safe in the environment until Chernobyl happens. You know, <laughs> and that it is like the, and well, that is have one just down the road from us here. So, or one yeah. you're working on. And then if that happens, if Chernobyl ever happens, it's obviously literally the worst thing for the environment that you can even conceive of. But, you know, <laughs> so even that my point is like even these kind of things, it is far from clear cut and we're going to have disagreements and that is very much OK. And we should respect and honor those who disagree with us. Mm-hmm. But how can churches teach the next generation to care for this planet? Well, I think first help their parents to think about it. And obviously you can't mandate all the individual decisions and say, oh, you can only consume so many kilowatts per hour. I mean, just kind of stupid stuff like that. But help their parents to even begin to think about it as a Christian. Uh, And I think to help not make it as partisan of an issue as it is. And it's so hard in our society. And I mean, I'm just not as familiar with what's going on in other places in the world because I don't have contacts there, and I could do a better job probably reading about some things, but the the culture here has become so polarized, and I mean, really, people's political views have become religious in their, their fervor, and so, and a lot of that has seeped into the church, but uh, to, to help people think about it as a Christian and less politically, um, and so letting scripture be what informs their conscience and then as they evaluate what's going on and to form their conscience, teach them about how people might come to different conclusions on these things and how to act. Um, and so, I mean, certainly you can have direct teaching with children, but uh, aiming it towards their parents and just emphasizing that creation is good, God made it, uh, and we ought to uh, we're, we're to take care of it. And so... 
um, not getting into all the specific prescriptions. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the yeah, I'll I'll just add to that one thing. Actually, we did recently with our youth ministry was we had a kind of a we always do a lot of topical series in the winter with the teens and Wednesday nights, and uh, we did an ethics series and we talked about environmental ethics on one Wednesday, and I thought that might be more more controversial than it was, but just presenting kind of what we've talked about today with the teens could be a helpful idea. Uh, but I think in general. I think properly focus on the new heavens, new earth, and present how you know God made us to live mm-hmm. in in planet Earth, even even if it's a different form of it. You know, we weren't meant to just kind of be these angelic beings in the sky, floating in the clouds. Uh, and mm-hmm. lastly, maybe a little practical thing so that you can teach it is, you know, if you work in the kids ministry, uh, and I actually have a friend that did this, you know, just took out in a lesson about God's creation of the world. And towards the end, they went out and they planted a tree, uh, you know, as something to, you know, participate in this cultivating of the earth together, even with the kids. And, and something simple like that can be really helpful, I think. That's a cool idea. And I mean, you can tie that to other things, faith. Uh, issues and waiting on the Lord. So, so yeah, that's yeah. a cool idea. Now, our last question would be, how can individuals, families, and church better give thanks for this world and the creator of this world? Uh, get our face off the screen and go out in it. Uh, sing about it. I think that's one way that can really be tangible for us as we're using our vocal cords and using air and, and this kind of thing and singing about God's majesty that's displayed partly in creation and uh, among other ways. And so, yeah, but just getting out and actually, you, you talked about planting the tree, um, enjoying the creation to help you be aware of it, to be thankful for it, instead of just spending all our time communing with a piece of glass in front of our face. Mm, that's good So. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that. I remember in Bible college, I worked uh, security, and sometimes I'd work third shifts. And uh, we at one time we had a car until it was destroyed by an employee. Uh, <laughs> flipped. <laughs> Long story. The guy was okay, uh, but so we had to take walks. We had to walk all over the campus, and you know, in the middle of the night in rural Georgia. It really gave me a lot of opportunity to walk in nature and thank God for it. Even thank God for, you know, the complexity of the stars. And definitely that, I think, brought me to be more thankful and appreciative of my creator and the creator of this as glorious universe. So, uh, But, uh, you know, I think further, like you mentioned, you sing about it. I mean, there's so many hymns about creation that are really helpful. Uh, that uh, have been sung in the past. Uh, I even think of, you know, there is a line that, uh, based on your comment earlier, that you probably would agree with me and not being a fan of singing along, but apart from one specific line, uh, I really love This Is My Father's World. Uh, and there's an RYM worship version, uh, that which is a Reformed uh, Youth Ministries worship version of it that's really good as well. So uh, sing songs like that more often than we do would be a wise idea too. Yeah. Well, uh, that unfortunately we won't be able to uh, spend much time outside on this because we got to crank out another one of these podcasts. But uh, listeners, I hope you're able to get outside and breathe in the uh, that the oxygen and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. Amen. Amen. Have a great day and God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. 
All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.